Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth. We can anchor our lives into your word to give us everything we need for a life of holiness, a life of godliness. And God, just help us to be careful not to ever twist your word to make everything be about us and wanting everything to fall in line for the way that we want it. But God, help us to align ourselves with you so that we fulfill your will and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Billy, for reading that. Those who have been here for a while, you know uh, reading is not my thing, right? Uh, and so the longer the passage, uh, the more often I get somebody up here to read for me. Um, if you think about fear, and that's what we're going to talk about today, fear. If you think about fear, we all deal with it. I mean, it's universal. It's going to happen. It's part of life. It's normal to feel afraid. In fact, Buzz mentioned uh, Hurricane Michael. How many of you went through Hurricane Michael here in Bainbridge or south of here? All right, so you know it was a terrible experience. I can promise you it wasn't as bad as Les Lonsdale's experience of what he dealt with, some of his own making. And he sent me this video, and I thought I'd share with you. Some of you may have seen this. Go ahead and show that video. This is him on his porch at his house right here in Bainbridge. So, yeah, he said we cut it off there a little too short, but he said, praise God at the end. That's pretty traumatic experience. I mean, that's, that's terrible to have the tree just cut right through your house. And God designed us with the ability to be afraid because he loves us and he wants to protect us. I mean, in this world, we're going to face danger. We're going to face things that are pretty scary, and it's sure not wise to ignore those things. God has given us the ability to be concerned so living in denial definitely isn't the solution when it comes to fear and our anxieties. But there's a big difference between being afraid and not giving way to fear. There's a big difference between uh, being afraid but not giving way to fear. So it's one thing to have legitimate concerns about danger. We should have those things. It's another thing to be consumed by fear and negative thinking which reveals a lack of trust in God. Let me say that again. It's another thing to be consumed by fear and negative thinking, which reveals a lack of trust in God. So think about your own life. I'll give you a, a, just a silly illustration. When I was in middle school, think back to middle school days, especially guys, you probably were guilty of being extremely paranoid about what people thought of you at that time. And I had this guy in my school who was a bully. He just wanted to make fun of people whenever he had the chance. Anything that he could pick on you about, he would pick on you. And I just remember the fact that he would pick out the stupidest stuff and, you know, and then begin to make fun of me in front of other people about it. And one, uh, this is going to date me back here a few years, all right? So anybody remember Sears, their jeans brand? Anybody remember that brand? Tough skins. Somebody, I heard it. Somebody said tough skins. All right, so apparently he thought tough skins were not cool. And so anytime that I wore my tough skins, which my parents, man, they love Sears. That generation, they love Sears. I don't know why, but that's where we did all our school shopping. 
And so I'd wear my uh, tough skin, and he'd be like, tough skins, you know, and, and begin to make fun of me, mock me. And I became to a situation there in the middle school where I honestly became very paralyzed by fear. I was scared to death to run into him in, when he was in one of those moods in front of other people at my school because of the mockery and being made fun of. And, and so I, I think back and think about how that felt. And some of you deal with that. I deal with that from time to time still today, not normally about my pants that I wear, but about other things in life that are a lot bigger deal than the brand of clothing. What if my health fails me? What if I don't have enough money to retire on? What if I never ever find a spouse? What if I had to just live life single the rest of my life? What if the other guy wins the election? What if my kids move far, far away? What if, what if, what if, right? We can fill in the blank. Lots of what ifs. And anxiety can consume us, and these things can just let our minds just run free down paths that we know are godless and that are consumed with what we are worrying about, which Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. And that's all we can do is just be consumed by those things. And you feel paralyzed by your fears, and there's nothing automatic about getting out of this situation. I will tell you that. It's not. I mean, we read verses like verse 4 where it said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I love that, but the truth is, if we just apply it like, I sought the Lord, okay, God, deliver me, and then boom, we're delivered, you know that's not the reality that you live with. Because you continually have to go back and seek God and seek God because things keep flooding into your mind. So it's easy to read this, but it's a war. It's a war that goes on. It's hard. It's difficult. But here's hope. It's possible to have victory. And as we look at Psalm chapter 34, I want you to look at the heading of this psalm first and foremost. All right, open your Bible. If you have a Bible, I don't know if it's on the U version, the heading. But if you have a print version, more than likely it gives you a heading at the top. And it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that, he so that he drove him out and he went away. And so if you've been around church, if you grew up in church, you may remember this story. We'll talk about it in a minute. But if you go to the context, it's in 1 Samuel. And we see these events that surround David's life, not just with one event. We might be able to say, you know, that's, there was nothing wrong with that deception. But we can see happening here in David's life, there's this, this trajectory of deception and of lying that's going on in his life. He deals with danger. He is dealing with the things that are confronting him through deception, through his deceit. Let's think back to the beginning about David. When he first kind of came on the scene and was anointed king, he did some great things. I mean, we remember him, the big story there, when he was just probably 17, 16 years old, he killed Goliath. He killed this Philistine giant with a slingshot. There is no fear in this guy. There is no running away with this guy. He faced him head on and took his life. He defeated him. And David, at the point of this, this, this psalm, his, his popularity has really peaked in Israel. He has become renowned. He's the commander of thousands of men in the military. King Saul's own daughter, Michael, has fallen in love with David and they've married, and King Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. But all along, Saul hates David. 
He's jealous of David to the point where he just in anger took his spear on two occasions and tried to pin David up against the wall with the spear. And so the king hates David, yet his daughter is married to David. His son is his best friend. And so the world is caving in on Saul. And so he's going after David with great resilience. And David has to flee out of Jerusalem. He has to get away. And unfortunately, again, this deception, he has Jonathan lie to Saul on his behalf. And then he goes off to this place called Nob. And when he gets to Nob, he's, he's left Jerusalem so fast in a hurry to get away from Saul that he doesn't carry a weapon with him. He ends up in Nob. He goes to the tabernacle. He goes to the house of God. And there he lies to the priest about why he's there. And he asks the priest if he has any weapons. And ironically, do you, does anybody remember the story? Ironically, the only weapon that's available for him there at the, at the tabernacle was Goliath's sword. It had been put on display there, apparently. And so David takes Goliath's sword with him. Man, the irony in that situation. And I, I wonder, I can't help but think, is David reminded here as he's sowing this deceit and just this pattern of deception that's in his life now, if he looks at that sword and he thinks back to being a young man who was not afraid at all, who was looked at as foolish because I won't wear that armor. I'm going to face him with my slingshot and five stones. David, you're a fool. No, God's greater. God is bigger. But now, five years later or so, David is running away scared, lying in just a, a path of deception along the way. Running in fear, he's lost that bold trust in God that he once had. Did he ponder the faithfulness? So after he leaves there, he goes to this place called Gath. And Gath is a Philistine town. And funny enough, the hometown of Goliath. So get David. He walks into here alone, carrying this huge sword. It had to be a huge sword because Goliath was a huge man. Walks into Gath thinking that some way he could be anonymous, that they wouldn't recognize him. And he goes there apparently to hide out. But people recognize him immediately. I mean, his fame, his renown, he killed Goliath. He's done great things. And they say, can this be David, the famous David? Is that David there? And so David, instead of trusting God, he freaks out. He's alone. He's on the run. There's no way the king at this point is going to let the hero of Israel leave town. So he's, he's in bad trouble. And then you go to 1 Samuel 21, verse 13. Here's what it says. David pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Finally, King Achish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. And so that's the backstory here leading to Psalm 34. But there's a little more to this story that you may not know unless you dug a little deeper. And that's in Psalm 56, because we think 34, 56, so 34 came before 56. But if you turn to Psalm 56 in your Bible, you'll see a heading on there as well. And it says, a miktam, which is probably some sort of song or musical device, of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And so actually, these words were penned right after he was seized in Gath. And so if you read Psalm 56... You see that Psalm 56 is different than Psalm 34. Psalm 56 is a psalm of confession. 
It's a psalm of repentance. Why? I think because David said in 1 Samuel 21, 12, it, it just point blank says, David was much afraid of Ashmish, the king of Gath. He was much afraid of the king. But then you read in Psalm 56, verse 3, 4, and 11, David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose words I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What man can do to me? How different is that than what he just said, what just was written in 1 Samuel 21, that he was afraid. And so I think what we have here is David comes to see that he has a problem of fearing man versus fearing God. And it's my opinion that the sequence of events recorded in 1 Samuel 21 and Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 or something like this. That out of fear of Saul, David flees to Gath. He attempts to live in the city without revealing his identity, but obviously he's soon discovered. When the king learns of David's identity, he captures David. And then David, fearing for his life, he acts insane. He acts crazy and he's released. And so David, I think, looked back upon all that transpired to this point, and he came to the understanding that he had acted out of fear, and not out of fear of God, but out of fear of man. And so he pens Psalm 56 as a psalm of confession to God. He was humbled when he writes this. And then after Psalm 56, then Psalm 34 comes, and that's a praise to God for his deliverance. Even though he had this failure to fear, and even though he used uh, means to get free that were not appropriate. They were sinful in my mind. Nevertheless, in spite of that fear, he comes to the realization that he needs to trust God rather than trust himself. And he writes this pen so future, he pens this psalm so future generations can see the fear of the Lord. And David recounts, here's his experiences and this painful thing that happened, and here's the result. So what can we learn from David in this Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 about victory over fear? The first thing I want to say is, like David, we confess our sins and pray for the restoration of your joy in the Lord. You, you confess your sins. David took the opportunity to write an entire psalm of confession and praise. I feared the Lord instead of fearing man. And it's a confession. I was on the wrong track. I was going about this the wrong way. Now I'm repenting. I'm going the other way. And I, I love that David's experience is, is real life. It, 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 he failed. He struggled. He landed hard. And we can relate the same way, can't we? See, we can live in denial that, you know, we got it all together, that we have no problems. But the truth is, many of us in this room are paralyzed by fears. We're paralyzed by the world that we live in, situations are going on in our life, and we allow our anxieties and our fears to steer us away from God, not toward God, so much of the time. I just read that there's 365 verses in Scripture. I didn't verify this. 365 verses that say, fear not, one for every day of the week, right? Or day, sorry, every week of the year, my bad. One for every week of the year. In New Morning Mercies this morning, the devotion I read every morning, it said this, and Michelle sent it to me this morning. She's like, this goes right along with your message. 
I was like, wow, it sure does. I just want to read you this, what Paul Tripp wrote. He said, I wish I could say I'm never afraid, but I can't. I wish I could say that, I never wor- that worry never interrupts my sleep, but I can't. I wish I could say that I never wonder what God is doing, but I can't. I wish I could say that I am always aware that God is near, but I can't. I wish I could say that I never wonder if only blank, but I can't. I wish I could say that I never dread what's around the corner, but I can't. I wish I could say that I always have peace in my heart, but I can't. I wish I could say that all I do is done out of faith and not out of fear, but I can't. And he continues, you see, I have come to, the, to be very aware that although I know the Bible and its doctrine well, the battle between fear and faith still goes on in my heart. It's a battle that we continually wage. And I want to give us some practical. And, and look, you can continue on as you are. Or you can make adjustments. You can create, as I'm going to say at the end, new habits, new patterns that bring you closer to God. And one is this idea of writing out your confession, journaling your confessions, having serious confession time to God over your struggles. It takes time. We're busy. But you have to decide, is my life going the direction that it should be going? Now, again, step back here for a second. It's easy to look at things like anxiety and say, yes, I need better mental health. I need to control my thoughts. I need to live happier, et cetera, et cetera. And we can turn all these things to make it about our self-improvement, our just being a better us, you know, so to speak. But that's not the point of the Bible at all. That's not the point of your life if you're a Jesus follower at all. The point of your life isn't for you to be healthier mentally. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. And so if these things like anxiety and fear are sucking away the joy of the Lord out of your life, then you're not representing him the way that you should be representing him. People don't look at your life and say, where's a guy who is real and he's struggling, but man, I can see that his life is about bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And I see him fighting this battle against these things. Or I see this woman over here who, yes, she has more problems than I have, but I see her giving it to God and, and giving God the glory and pursuing after Christ. I need that in my life. So this is not about perfection. and It's not about you 2.0. This is about Jesus Christ and about him being glorified and shown in your life. And so let's be careful that we don't twist that around and just make it about us being better because that's not the point. And when you miss the point, then I don't think God is going to be glorified in your life at all through that. And so maybe you're thinking here, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really struggle with anxiety. I don't struggle with fear. That's not really my, my deal. Let me ask you a couple questions, those who may be sitting here thinking that. Here's a couple questions that will make you think through it. What are the sins that you can confess to God, but you would have a very difficult time confessing to someone else? Because therein might lie an indicator that you have a great fear of people. What are the things about yourself that you simply don't want other people to know? Fear? Is fear driving that? I need to be like Jesus, but, you know, they wouldn't accept me or they wouldn't help me if I told them that truth. Or I just don't feel comfortable talking about that. And you're not entering into community because of fear. So some of these questions might reveal some things to you. But confession and a clear conscience is the starting point to root out fear. Number two, 
Choose to trust God even while admitting your fears. Psalm 56.3, David's psalm of confession, when I was afraid, what did, he, what did he do? I put my trust in you. When I was afraid, I chose to put my trust in you. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. See, despite the circumstances, despite your feelings, you can still make the decision to choose God through spirit-enabled determination. You can make the decision, I'm putting my trust in you, God. I'm placing my hope in you. Yes, I keep feeling like I'm drugged back here in my mind, but I'm continuing to take that and place it before you. I'm fighting this battle. Don't buy into the lie that you can't trust God unless you feel like trusting him. Don't buy that lie. So many people base their decision on seeking God on this very decision right here. I just don't feel it. I, just, I don't feel God's near, you know. Done. Put it away. Saturday morning, I woke up to do my quiet time like I do every morning. And I had one of those mornings where I just, I just didn't feel it. And it was a good thing I had this sermon already prepared because it reminded me it's not about the way that I feel at the moment. There's some days when I'm reading and it, it seems so alive and so fresh. And then other days it's just feels like I'm a little bit of going through the motions. And you confess that to God. You, you choose to trust God even while admitting your fears, your struggles. And so despite the circumstances, trust God. Put your hope in Him. And don't buy into the lie that you have to fill it first. Trusting God is a matter of the will. And it isn't dependent upon your feelings. Trusting God is a matter of the will. It is not dependent upon your feelings. How do you do that? The third thing. Choose to recognize God's presence and constant help. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 34. Look at David choosing to recognize God's presence and help. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall occasionally, no, continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. So he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is an act of the will. When David didn't feel like it, he, an act of the will, I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to determine to bless him and trust his unfathomable goodness, his sovereignty, his control, no matter what is going on or no matter what I feel at the moment. And I pray and ask God for the grace to remember that. I need your grace, God, to enable me to trust you. To just believe that you're true, as we sang a minute ago. Your promises are true, and you don't fail. And again, if your goal in life is a beach umbrella or a soft pillow, then God's going to fail you, right? Because God doesn't always, his idea of ministering to you and making you more like Christ rarely comes in that fashion, does it? How does it come? It comes through adversity, comes through difficulty, comes through strain. That's where you grow to be like Christ. And he says, David says, you're there. And I'm not going to interpret bad circumstances as if you're not there. And the fact that I can go to the beach, put my umbrella up, put my sand in oil and lay down and be like, God, oh, you created this world. It's so awesome. This is where I'm growing to become more like you. Right? I mean, that's rarely where it happens. Now, there's nothing wrong with recharging ourselves, right? 
But if that's what we interpret as being God's blessing, then we're missing the point and we'll never be satisfied in God as long as we see it that way. We have to see that as difficulties come our way, that James says, consider it all joy when you face these things. Because therein is where you grow. And when the pressure, you become more like Christ. And yes, we all have the tendency to want to live here because we like it. It's nice. It's comfortable. But that's not what God called us to. God called us to live for his glory. And for some of us, it is a pretty comfortable existence in Bainbridge, Georgia. For some, it's Honduras or Africa. But wherever God puts you, he's going to call you out of your comfort zone to live for him and face your fear. Because it's hard to say, hey, do you know Jesus? Or, hey, do you go to church? You want to come to church with me next week? It's hard to do those things. It's fearful. But you trust God and you choose to recognize God's presence and his constant help. And then the fourth thing is share your experiences and minister to others. Share your experiences and minister to others. Verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do you see David? He's saying, come here. Come surround me. Let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. Let's exalt his name as a community together, not just me by myself. This is about ministering and caring for others and giving ourselves to others. It's not about us. It's about loving God and loving others. You know, over this, series, this, this summer and during the quarantine time, we've had a, had a guest come up to kind of share and to do an interview and I was telling the guys on the, the tech team and the, and the worship team today, today is the only guest where I'm going to flirt a little bit, okay? And Dallas was like, you flirted with me, didn't you? And I was like, no, sorry, Dallas. So Michelle's going to come up here. That's my wife. For you all know, that's why I'm flirting, all right? She's going to come up here for a second. And I had asked her to uh, share a little bit about this, this idea of anxiety and turning from being so inward focused to being outward focused. And just kind of tell about your, your experience a few years back and kind of what was going on and, and what happened. Um, I struggled with anxiety since I was, um, oh, I'm such a crier, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was praying this morning, like, God, please keep the emotions at bay. Um, since I was in my early 20s, and it seemed like as we had kids, it got worse, which you would expect because you have all the pregnancy hormones and then, you know, all the stuff after having babies. Um, but until Colin was about six months old, I just um, kept it inside and thought, I can handle this. I can figure it out. And I didn't even talk to John about it. I'm sure he knew stuff was going on um, just because he lived with me and, you know, he could pick up on things. Um, but then I started talking to John um, about it. And one night he told me, um, which y'all that know John know that um, he can be very blunt at times, but at the time, I guess that's what I needed. And he said, Michelle, you're so self-focused. Um, you need to wake up and see the opportunities that God has given you in ministry. And um, at the time, God had us in Texas, and um, we were in a church that we loved, and John had a wonderful youth group, and there were a ton of great teens in there, um, and there were a bunch of girls that wanted to be discipled. They wanted a girls' Bible study. 
And um, when he first told me, I, it agitated me because I thought how insensitive and rude and, you know, he doesn't care about my feelings. Um, but the Holy Spirit used it to um, open my eyes and show me that, you know, there, there was something besides looking inward and at myself all the time. And so um, I got involved with, a, um, I started a small group with um, the high school girls in our youth group. And then we did um, a girls Bible study at our house. And that didn't like fix all my problems, but it was amazing just taking my eyes off of me and doing, fulfilling the purpose God had given us and um, helping others and letting him use me, how much that helped my anxiety and um, the worrying that would um, flood my mind. And then when we were blessed um, to move to Bainbridge, um, Buzz and Sharon Beecham worked in the youth when we first moved here. Um, I guess that was about 16 years ago. And I was able to have lots of conversations um, with Sharon over the years. And I don't even know if she remembers um, the con this conversation, but she told me one evening, she said, because I was telling her, you know, just about how I struggle with worry and letting it get out of control and always thinking the worst case scenario, um, especially like with my kids, um, you know, worrying about them. And she said, Michelle, you have to um, train your mind and your thoughts like you would any other part of your body. And, you ha and she said, like, um, Corinthians tells us we have to hold our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. And she was telling me, when you have those worry thoughts come in your head, choose to quote scripture to yourself. And that's what I started doing. And it was amazing. I mean, not that that magically fixed it either, but like training my mind as things would pop in my head that I knew were triggers for me for anxiety or worry. I would quote scripture to myself. And then like, you know, a year or so later, those weren't struggles that I was having on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. I mean, it got easier and easier. And I was, so now I tell my girls the same thing, um, especially Shelby, because she has a little of the same tendencies that I do. And I've told her that numerous times, you know, of what Sharon told me. Um, and God tells us in scripture, I think it's in Isaiah, you know, that his word won't come back void. And for me, that's such a tangible thing that he showed me just with um, holding my thoughts captive and using his scripture to help me with that. Wow. And so that's the idea of magnify the Lord with me. Come, come here. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt him together. And let me share my experiences with you so that you can grow. And this is what David was, was at. Thank you. Give me a kiss here. I told you I, I could flirt with you. Thank you. Mm. you give her a hand. And so are, are you using what God has allowed into your life to encourage others and minister to others, or are you just bottling it up? You may be, and, and so many people think, I've I got to get it all together before I can use my, my stuff to glorify God. No, because you're never going to have it all together, ever. And you'll keep waiting and waiting and waiting and miss opportunities because you're waiting to be perfect, and you're not going to be there. Are you pursuing Christ? Are you seeking after him? then go and serve and share others. Number five, build an identity that gets its significance from God. Build an identity that gets its significance from God. Look at verse two. My soul makes... We glory in something. He says, glory 
in God. Make your boast in God. Paul said, I'm going to boast in the cross, in the cross alone. You're going to be boasting in something. I've shared this before, but I think it's a pertinent illustration. Back 12 years ago or so, I really got into running and then distance running. And if anybody here has ever gotten into distance running, it's very addictive. It really is. And if you're a numbers person and you like keeping charts and spreadsheets, it's like perfect for you because you, you keep track of your heart rate, you keep track of your, um, your mileage, you know, your times, the, the temperature, everything, all this stuff. And so you get, you know, and not only do you get the physical benefits of it, you get this mental side of it as well. And so I really, really super got into distance running to the point where, you know, all I could think about was running. And it became my consuming thing. I mean, I got up in the morning, all I could think about was my run. Even if I tried to read the Bible, it was my run was on my mind. I couldn't wait to get and, and work toward that next marathon, charting out the course to get there these many miles this day, this day I'm going to do this many, this is my rest day, cross train. And it became a consuming passion for me. And Michelle could attest to this. And that's all I wanted to do is to run and to compete in, in, in marathons, half marathons, or so on. And after my first marathon in Tallahassee, I literally, literally got at my computer and typed out nine single-page, 12-font pages of my experience, like detailed experience of this whole race. I still have it. It became my consuming passion. Anybody I met, some way it would manage to come up in the conversation. It became my God. It became all I thought about. It became my identity. You have an identity. For some people, it's their kids, their kids' sports, their kids' goals, objectives. For some, it's your job. You're consumed with that all the time. For some, it's just the next vacation or to do this or achieve this goal. But we all have a God. And listen, if you're a true Christ follower, what happened to me will ultimately happen to you. Here's what happened to me. I've told you this before. God pretty much took all away for a while. I developed asthma as a 40, early 40s, just developed it, and boom, it left me crushed. Because I went from you know, running an 8-minute, 7-minute mile pace to now maybe 11-minute mile pace. I mean, I, just struggling for every breath. I couldn't even run you know, very far at times. Had to get inhalers, had to go see Mallory on several occasions. And it broke me. But God reminded me again and again, I do this because I love you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. You're wasting your life on something that doesn't matter at the expense of something that matters for eternity. And I'm so thankful God chose to give me my breath back. And a few years later, I'm 80% to where I was before. Some probably of that 20 is because of age. But it's not my God anymore. I still run. I love to run, but it's not my God. I took that off the throne and said, God, you're the only one that deserves to be there. And we all battle with that. You're building your identity on something. What's your identity being built on? What are you boasting in? Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David says, Taste, taste and see. Build your identity upon God because he's worth it. 
And that makes me think of 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3, where Peter writes, probably with this in his mind, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The point I want to get at in this identity thing, we're done, is you have to develop the habits, the routines, the practices that begin to form you to be who God's called you to be. And you can't just base it on how you feel. Because a soft pillow or a beach umbrella is always going to feel better physically than doing the work of the Lord. But I promise you, just like Michelle attested to, the joy of the Lord comes when we're not turned inward on ourselves, but when we're turned outward on Him and to others, serving others, ministering to others, making a difference for the kingdom. So here's the point. Take the five things and begin to establish new practices, new habits, new routines that are Christ-centered, God-centered. If the first thing you do in the morning is jump up and run after your God, change that. Jump up and start running after the eternal God. If the last thing you do at night is fill your mind with Netflix and go to bed dreaming about what it could be like to live in that world or with that spouse or that person or these things, and that becomes your consuming thoughts as you go to bed at night, change that. Begin to be in his word. Read the Psalms and turn and say, God, I'm going to put my thoughts on you. I'm going to place my trust in you. I'm going to choose you over these things. And over time, you'll begin to see that these habits, these routines, these practices will begin to change who you are if they're pointed toward Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so amazing. And it changes us. Not because we learn more intellectually, but you fill us with faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith isn't just sitting here nodding and affirming, but faith is putting into practices the things we've heard. And God, I pray we won't be just hearers of the word this morning, but we'll be doers of the word. Help us to begin to put in place the things that will move our life to bring glory to you. Give us other believers around us to encourage us, to help us to magnify the name of the Lord together so we can exalt you together and make you known. In Jesus' name we pray.